Another episode of Sunday Golds here on this July afternoon. It has been a minute since we have hit the record button and been able to talk to you. And, uh, of course, Florida State baseball in the midst of a busy summer and a lot to hit on, Arya Masudi and Brett Nevitt. Uh, thanks for those of you reaching out and, and asking uh, you know, for another episode. And uh, we've just been waiting to make sure things are finalized so that we can then uh, be able to give you uh, the best possible analysis and information that, that we have available to us. Uh, Brett, you've been busy this summer. I know you're up in the Cape. Uh, how has the first uh, six to eight weeks of summer been for you? Yeah, it's been busy, uh, like you said. Um, obviously, a lot going on with the program. Coaching changes, portal stuff to follow. Um, obviously, the draft just happened. And then um, being up here and keeping up with our guys on the Cape and, and trying to keep up with other guys around the country at a bunch of different summer leagues. Um, you know, like like you said, we, we were trying to get kind of a better feel for, for where we were at before we wanted to hit the record button. And I feel like at this point, we have a pretty clear picture um, of, of what this program is going to look like uh, coming into this next season, but um, still some other things to, to get done. I think um, probably add at least one or two more pitchers in the portal, maybe more. Um, but we do feel like we have a clear picture as of now, just of, as where the roster stands and where the coaching staff stands. Um, so yeah, um, there's been a lot of news to try to track down and follow, but um, you know, it's, it's always fun. And, um, obviously being on the Cape, um, you know, can't ask for a much better baseball experience than, than being up here and, and get to see all the, all the games up here. No, you, your coverage has been excellent as always. And I'm sure the guys appreciate it playing up there and the fans we've, we've known for years now appreciate how hard you work. So, um, as you mentioned, we'll, we'll touch on coaches, uh, guys coming in, guys leaving, uh, we'll talk about the MLB draft and uh, some mixed news, really a mixed bag there for FSU. Uh, Brett and I will, will dive into that. Um, then we'll talk about the transfer portal picture. And uh, even that was affected by the MLB draft a little bit too. And, and we're not completely done there yet uh, as we try and keep our eyes open for guys that can help make this team better. And then uh, at the end, as we mentioned, Brett's up in the Cape um, and he's had a, a really great chance to be able to see some of these guys develop in what is the premier college baseball summer league out there. All right, Brett, well, let's just jump in, man. Uh, the coaching staff, uh, I think the way you start it is congratulations to, to Rich Wallace and Chuck Rostano, two guys that I know have worked tirelessly, right, to be able to have an opportunity to one day be head coaches. Uh, Rich Wallace goes to UCF, Chuck Rostano to Navy, uh, and then also Seth Manis, uh, to UNCG, Link's old stomping grounds as their pitching coach. So uh, a big congratulations to those three guys. And what went into those moves and um, what kind of opportunities does those three guys have now at new programs? Yeah, I mean, first off with Rich, you know, Rich has been in a lot of places, been a recruiting coordinator at a, a bunch of different spots, um, you know, different spots around the country, um, different kind of institutions between private, public, um, so he's seen a lot and he's, he's, he's done a lot of work and had a lot of experience and all of that was, was to ultimately get the UCF job for Rich. That was always his goal, his alma mater. Um, you know, Rich loves UCF, I think, and, um, that's where his family wanted to be. I believe his, his parents are, are still around there. Um, so, you know, a lot of things for Rich that went right in that situation as well, I think. You know, Joe Girardi was was the name there for a long time, but that kind of fell through and and Rich was the next guy up for them. And 
Um, you know, and he's gotten a good push there so far donations wise and, and they're going to get some upgrades facility wise too, as well. So it's a, it's a good spot for rich. And, you know, I saw him up here in the Cape for a couple of days and I just think he's really excited about that. You know, with Chuck, at, Chuck at Navy, um, that was something that, that happened pretty fast. Chuck was up here in the Cape as well. The first week looking at arms for Florida state. Um, left here and, 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 you know, I think it was about a three day process interviewing at Navy and then ultimately getting hired. And, you know, that's not a job that, you know, maybe everyone thinks about, but for Chuck, you know, I think that was a dream type opportunity for him. He's someone that has looked at the academies before as, as somewhere that he ultimately felt like would be a dream opportunity for him. And, you know, I think it fits Chuck's personality. Well, um, he's kind of a bit of an old school guy, but, also with some new, new, you know, modern day um, mentality, but just a great a human um, conversations I had with Chuck in the year that he was here. He's just a very genuine guy and um, someone that you want to be around and, and, and someone that it's easy to have conversations with and um, appreciate all the stuff they did for me for the last year. And um, like you said, Manis, Manis worked mostly in the bullpen this year, was the bullpen coach on game days. Um, also helped with Chuck with the pitching staff um, as the grad assistant this year. Um, I think he was at, I don't I think he might've been at UNC Wilmington the year before, and now he's going to UNCG, as you mentioned, as a pitching coach, obviously former big leaguer. So a ton of experience there. Um, and, and good to see Seth get that opportunity after being the GA this year at Florida State. You're muted. Rusty. We're rusty. No, we are rusty. And uh Brett knows and the fans know this has been a problem for me even when uh <laughs> one person turn on your mic, are you? Uh all right. Well, it's always tough to say goodbye to people, right? And uh three guys who I think worked hard in year one with with Link. And obviously part of the appeal when Link hired um these guys to come with him from Notre Dame was that continuity. And so obviously, you know, after one year, you're having to do this all over again. Right. And uh, the good news is I think you've gotten a little bit, uh, you found some new talent, right. That, that can come in and, and do a good job. Uh, a young coach in, in Micah Posey, uh, who was a rising star by all accounts uh, around the nation. Um, his days at, at most recently at DBU at Dallas Baptist, um, and not to mention Eastern Tennessee state where he was really good. And, uh, it's, it's a big upgrade, I think for Florida state in terms of where FSU wants to go with its pitching staff and certainly nothing against Chuck Rostano for me, who I thought, um, you know, has probably forgotten more baseball than I'll ever know. Right. And, and he's going to do a great job at Navy, but Posey, I think is going to be a really good piece to this staff, a Tallahassee native whose dad, uh, is the current head coach and athletic de director at North Florida Christian, a, a high school in town. Uh, I should say it's more than a high school. It, it goes all the way from, from kindergarten. Um, but Posey's a guy who I think will bring fresh ideas and, and maybe relate to this younger generation of, of pitchers. Uh, so what, what are your takeaways on Posey coming back home? Because the resume is certainly impressive. Yeah. I mean, he's coming off being the, the conference USA assistant coach of the year and um, you know, he's had we're about to talk about the draft, but just had six DBU pitchers drafted this year alone. Um, just kept seeing that Dallas Baptist and pitcher pop up on the draft tracker. So 
that was really good to see as well. Um, like you mentioned, he also spent three years at East Tennessee State um, and was, you know, I think he was at Elon before that. And Elon had good staffs as well, ranked top 25 in the country in strikeouts per nine. And everywhere he's go, everywhere he's gone, his his staffs had had, you know, they just strike out a ton of batters. And I think he set the school record at, at Dallas Baptist every year he was there and 656 strikeouts as a staff this year. Um, had four all CUSA selections on his pitching staff, 14th in the country with with 10.6 strikeouts per nine. So I mean, there's just there's a lot to like here in the resume, and you know, Dallas Baptist too. They they have one of those pitching labs, and he got to work with that, um, and, and and work with all the data and that. And he talked about in his press conference, um, his first one with the Florida State media, kind of about he was someone early on when when this started to become more data driven to try to get get down ahead of that and learn it so that he could have that on his resume. Um, so I think that's something he'll bring, be able to bring here and help with development of the pitchers um, and seems like a, a pretty down to earth guy. And he's really excited to be at Florida State. Um, like we mentioned, Tallahassee, local guy, dad coaches at North Florida Christian, Mike Posey. And um, so you, you, you feel like you have a, a, a young up and coming coach that is going to help you now probably could help you for a while. It, it feels like someone that, that is going to be here for, for a good bit. Um, just like link, like it's, it's local guys that, that want to make Florida state better and, and want to get this program back to where it used to be. Um, so excited to see, to see the pitchers and fall and, and see what they do with some of those guys and the development of them, because um, obviously it's, it's, it's a strong track record for Posey. Brett, there's a question I've been meaning to ask you since Posey got hired and Chuck Rostano uh, moved on to Navy to be their head coach. What would you like to see from Posey um, schematically, organizationally? Where do you want to see FSU's pitchers uh, improve and maybe the philosophy going forward? Not to say that it was bad because obviously, you know, Rostano had this first year to – I think identify, right? Like his roster and where this program was going. We're never going to find out what year two of a Chakrastano pitching staff will look like. But what we do know is that last year was not a good year on the mound. Uh, whether that was personnel or, or execution or both, I think Posey's kind of a reset button in, in what is a, a more traditional fit for a Southeastern baseball team. And, and Posey certainly has grown up in this area. So that being said, what do you want to see philosophically from Posey and, and Florida State's pitching staff going forward? Yeah, I think number one is just getting the strike zone as much as possible and whatever it takes. Um, and obviously that's that should be number one with every staff in the country. But I think he was asked that question um, in his press conference and he just said, you know, most important thing is, is getting strike one, getting ahead 0-1. Um, when you're in 1-1 counts, you got to win that pitch and get to 1-2 instead of 2-1. Like, you just got to work ahead and then from there be able to use your plus pitches to get swings and misses and get strikeouts because ultimately when the ball is not in play, good things are going to happen for your pitching staff and your defense and and you're going to be able to limit damage. Um, and that's what we see with his staffs there. And, um, you know, I think – I don't think anyone really would have had a chance, any pitching coach with, with this staff this year and just – especially once Wyatt went down and just the pure – numbers of number of capable bodies you had that were going to get the ball in the strike zone it was just it was tough and it was it was a tough task and 
we talked about it from from the beginning of the year and from before the year even started and um you know it kind of reared its ugly head but um yeah it's just get in the zone and and let your stuff go to work and be confident in the zone and um you know i think it's just my big thing is i want to three three i want to see guys with three pitches that can keep hitters off balance and three pitches that are in the zone and, and, and can keep hitters off balance so that um, you don't become a predictable pitching staff. I think, I think at times this year, Florida state became a bit predictable in what they were doing. And I thought a lot of that was because so many guys were just two pitch pitchers and a lot of guys didn't have a change up or didn't have a useful, you know, real useful breaking ball. So um, get ahead with fastballs and then, be able to have two two plus off speed pitches that are going to be able to um, get you swing and misses. I think. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk personnel too, a uh, couple segments later on in this show, uh, as we talk about pitching staff and, and what guys are coming in and what guys have left or are expected to leave. But a couple of more uh, to hit on with the coaching staff, uh, recruiting coordinator, right, Rich Wallace uh, to UCF, as we mentioned. Uh, you reported with Knowles 24-7, and, and reports have now come out that, that Ty McGahee, right, uh, held a similar position at Pitt for, for Mike Bell. He's expected and in to be Florida State's new recruiting coordinator. Uh, what can Florida State fans expect from him? Yeah, McGahee was someone, you know, right away as Wallace got hired that I thought could be an option. Um, you know, has a prior connection to Link, worked with Link on the Auburn staff. Um, that's about 10 plus years ago now, but, um, you know, worked with him there. They know each other from that. Um, so it should be, I think, a pretty smooth transition um, for those two guys to, to get to know each other and work with each other even more. Um, after that, McGay, he went to Mercer where he was pretty successful. I think they were 73 and 30 there. And um, in the two seasons he was there um, and he recruited and coached uh, Kyle Lewis, who won the Golden Spikes Award and ended up being a first round pick. And um, ultimately, you know, I think he's still I think he's on the Diamondbacks now and had played for the Mariners. Um, and then obviously he worked with Bell at Pitt for, I believe, five the last five seasons. And, you know, obviously Pitt hasn't done anything too big or, you know, like I don't even know. Have they gone to a tournament? But, um, you know, they've consistently made the ACC tournament, which the program, you know, usually didn't do in the past. And you know, FSU learned this year that it's it's not an, a guaranteed thing. It's not an easy thing to do to get to that tournament. Um, and, you know, I think Pitt, I think they had six or seven guys from the state of Florida on their roster this year. Um, some of those are from, from JUCO ranks as well. Um, but I do think he has connections down here. Um, he should have connections, you know, kind of all over the country just from the amount of time he spent coaching in D1, um, you know, kind of in wait and see mode on what he does um, with, with, you know, the other coaching, uh, duties. And I know that Rich, Rich worked with the catchers mostly last year. And I, I think McGay, he will do the same because I know Link really likes to work with those infielders. Um, and I expect Brad Vanderglass to, to, to remain on staff as, and, and move into the third paid assistant role. And he'll likely keep, keep working with the outfielders. Um, so I think McGay, he will, will do the cat, will work with the catchers. Not, not certain that he'll be the third base coach. Still have to, um, replace that with Chuck leaving. So we'll see. Uh, I mean, with Rich leaving. Um, so we'll see how, what happens there. But past connection to Link and, and working with Bell at, at Pitt as well, I think is, is a good thing. Um, and all the experience, you know, experience never hurts. Um, so we'll see. Obviously, 
right now recruiting has kind of changed in college baseball with the portal and also the new rules in the high school with not being able to talk to kids until till they're juniors. Um, so it's a, you know, it's kind of a fast moving world right now and, and, and a change in change in world in the baseball recruiting world. So um, yeah, we'll just, we'll have to wait and see what, what Florida state's able to do with, with McGahee as the, as the recruiting coordinator. It seemed like too, Brett, though, a lot of, there's a lot of optimism and hype that FSU would go get a, a really big name for this role. And um, that didn't come to fruition. And I think that that led to some disappointment for some Seminole fans um, with McGahey being hired because Pitt's not certainly a, a sexy name or a program that has had much success uh, really historically. I think Mike Bell has done about as well as he can um, in a really tough part of the country to be successful in. Um but I think if you look at McGahey's resume, there is uh, some underrated abilities there, right? He's a Southern guy uh, who's played baseball in the Southeast. He's coached in the SEC. Uh, he's coached at one of the biggest mid-majors in Mercer in the country, has familiarity with Link. And you have to think he's going to have a much easier sell to Florida State for kids in the Southeast than he would trying to convince them to go to Pitt, Um Really, that was Mike Bell's MO was as many junior college kids from Florida or, or transfers from the state of Florida, the southeast, because that's where their roots were um, to try and go to Pitt. And, and it certainly that wasn't always the easiest exercise because of the challenges that, that face baseball programs in that part of the country. So you would have to think that the McGahee will be able to be an energetic recruiter in the south and hopefully with modern techniques. Right. And, and is up to date with the way that recruiting is playing with NIL and the portal uh, in this era of college baseball. Yeah. And I think i like you mentioned with, you know, the, the recruiting coordinator hire and, and having some hype around it. Um, you know, I know Kendall tweeted out, you know, after, after Posey was hired as a pitching coach, something to that degree. Um, truthfully, I never heard distinctively any other names in the, in the, in the process. Um, you know, I did hear that they got a couple of no's, but, never heard who those were from um, and, and, and really never heard. Um, I never, for the whole month of that search, I didn't hear much um, until, you know, it, it came down to Big he at the very end. Um, so, you know, I don't know exactly who those certain names were, um, but like you said, um, you know, I'm not going to trash on the, on the hire or anything like that. McGay, he's a guy that's worked in the SEC, worked in the ACC, worked in the Southeast. Um, so, you know, we just got to see how it goes, I think. Without a doubt. Uh, and lastly, you mentioned that Vanderglass uh, moving into that third uh, new paid assistant role. Um, one, how does that affect what Florida State can do going forward? And then how does that hopefully make things easier on Link staff? Yeah, well, Vanderglass was with Link um, his last season at Notre Dame. Um, and I think Vanderglass was at, I believe, Indiana State a couple years before that. Um, so he has experience, obviously, and was here this past year and, and will help Link with, with still having some continuity, continuity on staff and knowing how practices run, knowing what, Link's, knowing what Link wants to do offensively. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe Brad will move over to third base after being the first base coach this year, um, but I expect he'll still be out there. Um, you know, always expected that Brad would move into that third paid assistant role. I mean, because there's, there's no longer a vo volunteer role. Um, so it's just kind of expected that he would make that transition. Um, so 
yeah, good to keep some continuity on staff, someone that knows what Link's, Link wants to do and, and know how he run, wants to run things from, from day one of the fall. For sure. Well, I want to make a note, though, uh, that, that Chip Baker as well, uh, Florida State's Director of Baseball Operations, uh, has decided to hang up the cleats after 39 years and, uh, you know, spend some time as an assistant coach, has spent time, a majority of the last uh, 20 or so years as a director of baseball ops. And he's done some TV analysis for those of you watching, um, you know, on the ACC network for FSU home games. Uh, we're going to miss Chip, uh, a mentor to, to both of us, a good friend to both of us, and, and a friend to everyone who comes to Hauser and then the Seminole baseball family. Uh, we wish him nothing but the best. Uh, but it's a sad day, right? You know, 11 stepped down a few years back and uh, Chip was kind of the, the last, it felt like the last remnants of that staff and, and of that era. And uh, big shooter, we wish you well. We're going to miss you. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by it. Um, didn't know it was coming, but was happy for Chip. Um, you know, he's been doing this a long time and it's a lot of work. Nobody really sees the, the behind the scenes work that he does. And he's probably the first person at the park and the last person at the park every single day. And um, whenever you need anything, Chip's there for you. He tries to get it done for you, um, whatever it is. I mean, there was a time this year he gave me some huge deodorant can. I mean, it's whatever you need Chip to do, he does for you. And he does it with a smile on his face and he makes you laugh. Um, so, you know, I hope Ch Chip's still around the park this year just to see him and, and, and still get to, you know, have conversations with him and, hear all of his good, his funny and good stories. So um, definitely miss seeing him out there every day, but hope he's still around. So um, congrats to Chip on, I think what you said, 39 years, I think 18 as an assistant and 21 as the director of ops and 2000 plus wins. Um, that's a, can hang your hat on that forever. I think. I'm trying to convince him, Brett, to, to hop back in the booth on the TV side of things. He can uh, just and be, be a part of those broadcasts. Sunday Golds. He could. I mean, we can have him on as, as much as we want. And um, sounds like he's receptive, though, to, to being still a part of the FSU baseball family. He said, I'm not going anywhere. So I think those of you uh, around Hauser can expect to see the big shooter uh, roaming around uh, one of the greatest ballparks in the country. OK, Brett, let's uh, let's transition into the draft. Uh, this is something I'll let you kind of handle uh, most of. Uh, maybe give a couple of thoughts here and there. Obviously, there were some some high school prospects that. Uh, one particular in Arjun Namala, we didn't think that was going to make it to campus. He got drafted where, you know, maybe a little bit lower than what people thought, but still first round high enough. Um, but there were some junior college blows uh, and certainly uh, some guys on this current team that also are likely not to be back because they'll probably get the signing bonuses or something uh, pretty enticing to, to be able to start their professional careers. Yeah, I'll hit on the high school guys first quickly. Um, three of them were drafted. Arjun, as you mentioned first, you know, I thought Arjun wouldn't would not slip out of the top fifteen picks, um, but ended up going twenty to the Blue Jays. Um, I'm really high on Arjun and, and what he's going to be. And um, you know, I know my buddy who who does a lot of work with Perfect Game is you know completely hundred percent sold on Arjun and believes he's going to be a big leaguer and a stud big leaguer at that and. Um, you know, Arjun's still only 17. He's got room to grow in the frame and he's already got plus power, um, at the shortstop position. So, um, you know, we expect him to sign obviously where you go in the first round. Um, you're thinking something's already done there when you go. So, um, congrats to him. I'm sure he'll be getting a big old signing bonus. Um, I think the slots a little bit over, like, I think it's around 2.8 mil, I believe. 
Um, Trevor Harrison was, was the next high school commit to go in round five. Uh, he's a, you know, I think he's, he's in the Tampa area at Mitchell and he got drafted by the Rays. Um, so goes to his local school, local team, which I think he should have a deal done there. Um, Harrison's been a fast riser over the past 24 months or so. Um, you know, was a kid that was really only up to like 86, I think two years ago and, you know, quickly started creeping up. I think he was up to, you know, 90 the next year and then up to 95 this spring in high school. So, um, he's going to throw really hard. People think, and the fastball is quality, um, you know, just needs to improve the off speed a bit. Um, but he's got a chance to be really good. He was someone, I think Florida state felt like they had a good chance of getting on campus, but, um, the fast the way he rose through the ranks this year and, and, and still what's to come for him, um, wasn't too surprised to see him picked was somebody that I had on my radar for being picked in this range. Um, so like I said, with the local team, I, I think there should, should be a deal done there. The last one was, was Andrew Duncan in the 19th round. Um, pretty toolsy outfielder. I think he's ranked 77th in the country by a perfect game um, in the recruiting class. Um, you know, I know, you know, when you see a high school ranked in the top 100 in the 19th round, you, you really don't think there's any chance of him signing. Um, but I do think there is some signability with Duncan. Um, and I do think there's some signability for, for the Astros because, you know, I think they went pretty under slot for most of their draft and, and have some money to spend. Um, not saying that that deal is going to get done, but I do think there is a chance there and it's something that we're still monitoring. Um, it's not hundred percent that I think Duncan is going to get to campus. Um, so we'll see. That's something that one of those things that we still need to monitor moving forward. Um, but you know, usually high school kids in that range don't sign, but um, we'll see. I think there's there's some interest from both sides and some capability from both sides of, of possibly getting a deal done there. Um, you know, Juco guys, like you mentioned, some of those um, all went on day three. The first was Gavin Adams, who went with the first pick of day three. And you know, I was pretty 100% sold that he would sign. You know, I told Aria that, you know, no chance that we probably would get him after he went with that first pick. You think when a team has between day two and day three to get a deal done that they should already have a deal done with that person and agreement in place. But, you know, Adams got, you know, got back to me, uh, I think the day after and let me know that he was, he was going to be coming to campus instead. Um, so I don't know what happened there with the nationals. That was pretty shocking to me, pretty surprising, but that's a good one to get to campus for Florida state. I think he's a potential back end reliever um, can get into the upper nineties has touched 99 before think the out pitch is going to be the slider has a pretty good sweep and slider in, in 83 84 85 range that should be his out pitch and that's something that Florida State has lacked for a bit I think is having a right-handed pitcher with a true wipeout slider out of the pen I just can't think of many guys that have had that recently for them with with a high octane fastball as well so uh, interested to see how that works out there um, there are some command command issues but um, you hope that Posey can, can work with him on that. Nellie Taylor went with the 14th pick of day three to the Red Sox. He does plan on signing. Um, Nelson is a, is a guy that, you know, was probably going to have a chance to start in the outfield for FSU this upcoming season. He's a plus-plus elite defender in center field. He won the gold glove um, in his region for the outfield, I think. Um, can go get any, any ball in center field. A plus runner, I think he had 30-plus stolen bases this year. Had 19 doubles, six triples, six homers. You know, I, I kind of expected that 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 Nelly would sign because he's someone to me that 
would, you know, just test off the charts and individual workouts and at the combine and stuff like that. He's just a really, really explosive athlete with a high ceiling. And the only question there is really the hit tool. Um, and, you know, I think uh, as a Red Sox fan, I like the pick as, as uh, someone that covers Florida State and wants to see athletes like that get here. It's a bit disappointing, but, um, you know, that was always someone from the day he committed. Florida State knew there was a chance he was going to be drafted. So I don't think they were too shocked there with that one. Um, Kale Lansville from Sanjack, a right-hander, went in the 14th round. Um, haven't heard exactly what's going to happen there yet. You feel like most JUCO guys are, are going to sign when they hear their names called, but with Lansville, there is going to be a lot of opportunity at Florida State if he, if he was to try to decide to do that. He was someone who started a lot this year at, at San Jack. I think Florida State views him as, as kind of a Swiss Army knife, someone who could start, someone who could be a middle reliever, someone who could come and get right-handers out, out of the bullpen. There's a lot of different things that they feel like Lansville can do. He's, he's a 92-94 with the fastball. I think two different breaking balls that are that are both useful, and the slider is really the out pitch. Um, so we'll see what happens there with Lansville. Um, the other day three selection was Ethan Chenault, who is a transfer commitment from UNC Wilmington, uh, three-year reliever, won't have leverage next year if he doesn't decide to sign. So um, I do think he plans on signing as well. Um, have heard from him actually that he does plan on signing, um, just has to go through physicals and stuff like that before getting the deal done. Um, so, you know, I think he's in that low 90s range with a couple of breaking balls as well and, and was likely going to be in the bullpen for Florida State in this upcoming year. Um, but, you know, that was also someone when they took his commitment, they knew that there was a chance of him getting drafted. And it was more so like, let's take him because we don't want someone else to get him in case he doesn't go in the draft. Um, so um, I don't think it was something that was shocking to them or something that they weren't prepared for. I don't know, moving on to the – you want me to just handle the draft? You got any thoughts on those guys, Arya? I just just bummed. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're, you, you, you lose guys that, you know – when, when the season ended and we're starting to look ahead, and, and quite honestly, we were looking ahead to, to 2024, what, like middle of the year. Uh, these were the names. Right. Like, like these were the names that we were, you know, looking to hopefully fill Florida state's roster. And, and they were the reasons for hope and optimism. And yeah, brother, we were in the fifth inning of some games talking about next year, <laughs> you yeah. know, what's it going to look like when, when, you know, Nelson Taylor's in, in center field and, or in left field. And yeah, it sucks, you know, and uh, you wish those kids well though. Like I'm excited for their families, right? Like they, they've had, a chance to realize their dreams of being pro athletes. And that is something that, you know, while I'm bummed personally, I will never hold that against the athlete or their family for, for wanting to better their own lives. Um, I do personally believe that like some of them had a better opportunity to come to Florida state ball out for a year. Um, especially if you have leverage, you know, bet on yourself and go double your money. But that's really easy to say for me behind a laptop uh, as we're talking over zoom. So um yeah you know? i mean it definitely stings when you see those guys go that day um but i also think like i said they were prepared for some of these and at the same time like if you're recruiting guys with this type of talent at the end of the day not all of them are going to get drafted every year and you're still getting some of those guys you're still getting adams you're still getting a carson dorsey a left-hander from gulf coast state that could have been another draft guy like you were able to go out and identify good Juco players with talent, with high ceilings that 
you know, this kind of just reaffirms that you're making the right evaluations and the fact you were able to get commitments from a guy like Nelson Taylor, who practically I think anyone else would have taken just because of the talent and, and the potential there. Um, and same with Adams. I mean, those are, it's just, it's good to get high ceiling talent. And when you get commitments from those guys, like, I know it stings right now, but if you keep getting commitments from, from talent like this over and over again, and you stockpile that kind of talent at the end of the day, I think things are going to work out for you. And I still think you're in an okay position. And if you can just go out and, and execute on a couple more guys that um, you can make up for some of these losses. But like you said, I mean, it does sting when you see those guys go on day three and, maybe you thought that you had a, a chance of, of bringing some, some onto campus. Yeah. I think you, you sum it up right. And that's, that's definitely, you know, the, the feelings you know, that I have on it, but you know what? I mean, again, you adapt, you adjust. This is happening to a lot of schools, right? When you talk about the draft and, and that's kind of the, the push and pull that the draft and college campuses have, you know, been, been battling for years now. And uh, it is cool though, to see the statistics in the MLB are showing, going to college is unless you're like a top 20 top 30 pick right like the numbers show that going to college is more beneficial for your career so i don't know if there's any high school students or high school players right now or travel ball kids listening to our podcast but but i hope you I hope you take that to heart um and there aren't many better places to, to go to play baseball than the than at florida state uh from a student athlete's life perspective and the competition uh, and fan base. So there was my pitch, Brett. <laughs> yeah. I think on the other end of it, though, like how many guys have come to Florida State in recent years and probably could have gotten more money out of high school and ended up getting less when they ultimately got picked out of college? So, you know, I can see both sides of it. And at the end of the day, when you're offered that money, there's no guarantee you're ever going to get offered that money again. And injuries happen, all sorts of stuff happens. So, you know, I see it from both sides. I mean, it's 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 a tough decision um, for anybody. Um, but yeah, man, I don't. There's not a whole lot of development that has gone on at Florida State. I think in the last five years. So, I think if you're looking at it from a player's point of view, it's like I'm getting the money now. Uh, let's not take a risk here, and let's just take it. And you never know if you're going to get that money again. But like you said. There's a lot of opportunity as well at Florida State this year. Like I mentioned, for a guy like Lansville, like, I don't know, he could come in and potentially be a Sunday starter or something. Like, you just don't know. Um, you don't know on either side of it. So it's just hard decisions. And, um, you know, just moving on to the the guys from this year's roster that got drafted. Um, Jackson Baumeister was the first of those three. Uh, he went in comp round B to the Orioles. I believe it was pick 63. Um you know, I do expect Jackson to sign coming into this. And for most of the year, I was just back and forth in my head on if Jackson was going to go or not. And, you know, I do think that Florida State felt they had a chance to get him back because, you know, Jackson would have another year of leverage next year. Um, he has a chance to come back and probably be the Friday starter again for Florida State and, and make 15-16 17 more starts and, and potentially improve his stock and show more consistency um, and improve the off speed. But, you know, like I just said, you, you don't know. I think, I think my thing always was if Jackson was going to get seven figures, I felt like he was going to go. It's just, I didn't know if he was going to get that. But once we started getting into the draft and some of the college pitchers that were selected in the second round, 
um, you know, I did feel like Jackson was going to go. And especially once Hackenberg from Virginia Tech, who's also a draft eligible sophomore, I think was picked by the Braves a few picks before that was someone that was inconsistent this year, but has the stuff and, and has the pedigree. Um, when, once he went, I, I just felt like Jackson was going to go. And it was only four picks later that he did go. I think his slot is 1.24. Um, I think since he's a sophomore draft eligible guy and someone that has had pedigree and someone that, you know, potentially could have gotten more out of high school that I, I think they'll go over a little over slot with him and that he'll probably sign for that. Um, but, you know, I do think I still think there was a chance. But once he got, you know, that that once he gets to that slot, you feel like he's going to sign. Um, Wyatt went in round four um, to the Dodgers. Um, you know, I think Wyatt was always going to sign. I think with the, the timing of when he got Tommy John this year that he wasn't really ever going to be available to, to pitch in next year's college season. Um, so it just made sense for Wyatt to sign. And I do think he's going to get at least the slot there in round four. And it's a it's a really good system for Wyatt to go in. Obviously, the Dodgers are known for their development. And it seems like every single prospect that they end up bringing up to the bigs, whether it's their number one prospect or their number 20, is going to be successful. Um, so happy for Wyatt that he gets to go out there and get in their developmental system. And I've always just felt that Wyatt's a pretty, you know, sure thing as a big leaguer. It's just that slider from the left-handed side. It's just, it's so impossible to hit. It's, I mean, it's basically an invisible to hitters. Um, he's just, he was just so dominant the entire time he was here and focusing on pitching and he's athletic. Um, I know he's not the biggest kid, but he's athletic. He's loose. He's, he's a fast mover. He's twitchy. Um, I've just, I've always liked what Wyatt presents and I think there's some more in there. Um, and hopefully he can get healthy and get back to his old self because um, when Wyatt's right, it's, it's, it's as electric as it gets on the mound. Uh, Monty, who had entered the portal, uh, Carson Montgomery, who had entered the portal um, a, a couple days before the draft, went in the 11th round of the Padres. Um, you know, I don't know for sure if, if Monty's going to sign, but like I said, usually you feel like those 11th round picks when they have day between day two and day three, you feel like they probably got something done. And I do hope that Carson signs. I, I want to see Carson get in a, in a major league system and with their developmental people and just see what they do with him. I, I still believe there's something in there with Carson. Um, you know, it, it sucks that it never worked out at Florida State. He, I think he's a kid that always wanted to come to Florida State and succeed. And he, he liked being at Florida State and it just it just never worked down. And, um, you know, especially this last year, it, it just kind of took, you know, a downward spiral there at the end where it just felt like he didn't even you know, want to be out on the mound at times. And, um, you know, I think he dealt with, you know, kind of a, a groin injury as well that kind of really made him struggle in his lower half and everything just seemed kind of out of sync. But there's still something in there. I fully believe that. And uh, I'll be interested to see what the Padres are able to do with that. Um, and then just one other note on the draft, five former Seminoles were drafted, including three pitchers. Um, that portal portaled last year and, and, you know, was supposed to be on the 2023 roster when when the roster was being built out by the former staff, but, you know, wasn't able to really be replaced at the end of last summer after the new staff came in and, and got here kind of late after going to Omaha. Um, you know, Ross Dunn went in the 10th round. I think Jackson the Zoo went in the 14th round. Dylan Simmons in the 15th round. Um, and then also A.J. Shaver and Caleb Cowley. I believe Shaver was in the 17th round after having a really big season at, at Florida Southwestern in the JUCO ranks this year. And, you know, Caleb Cowley was someone who was here, I think, uh, th 
three or four years ago and then went to JUCO and, and performed really, really well there. And then ended up being a part of Arkansas's lineup this year and kind of in the middle of the lineup. Um, so really just a physical bat there. So, you know, just kind of stings that, you know, you never really got, you never really got what you needed to get out of any of those guys and they go on to be drafted out of other schools. It's just, it's another one of those things where you look at the development and you just, you know, it, it's gotta be better um, all around. I mean, it's just, you don't feel like many players have come here and, and improved their stock over the last five or so years. Yeah, certainly wish them all the best. Uh, Crowell is intriguing in the Dodgers system. Uh, I think Monty needs to sign. You know, Carson should just get going on his professional career. He's still young enough to where I think there's time to unlock something, um, but he needs to get in a professional system. And uh, yeah, good good for them. I'm, I'm happy for all of them. Jay bombs. It's a bummer, you know, uh, that that he's going that he's going pro for FSU fans. But also, like, how can you not be incredibly excited for the opportunity for him? Um, that's a kid that I do think will pitch in the pros. Like I, I fully believe it. There is some God-given talent there um, and measurables that, again, not everybody has. Uh, and so uh, a really good pick and a guy that I think in a few years you'll be seeing uh, making a debut in the big leagues. Um, six DBU pitchers, uh, pretty impressive as well for Mike Posey. Uh, to be able to have that pedigree, certainly that makes you feel better if you're a Florida State fan on what coach Posey can do at FSU. Yeah, for sure. And I was just going to add about Doug Kirkland signing undrafted as well. Um, I believe with the Royals, he told me, um, you know, I'm just happy for Doug. Um, just two to three years of a really grueling recovery from, from Tommy John surgery, um, had some setbacks in there and it just took a while for him to get back on the mound. And um, this was really his full first full season ever of pitching. Um, and you know, I always thought if I was Florida State, I'd want him back. If I was a, if I was an MLB scout, I would also want to try to take a, a shot at, at, at Doug and, and try to sign him if I could because there's just so much untapped potential in there, and, it, and there's still a lot of value there with Doug. I think if you can, if you can really get him on the mound and work with him full time and, and can keep developing him and try to rein in that stuff and get it in the zone as quick as as, as much as possible, that he's got a chance to to be a to be a pretty good reliever oh, for sure uh, pretty good synopsis of the draft there um let's talk guys who are expected to make it to campus right out of the portal uh you get we'll start with the pitchers and then go into the hitters um certainly on the mound is where fsu has needed the most help uh going from 2023 to 2024 and uh they, they've done some pretty good work there uh, of getting better but there's still some hopefully some work to be done uh, and a couple of more guys to be added. But you've watched Yoel Tejada uh, in the Cape this year, uh, this summer. He is really impressed, right? Fastball up to 97, 98. Uh, Cam Leiter from UCF. Uh, Noah Short from West Virginia. I believe that's a side armor who's coming in. Uh, and then Grant Marlowe from UCF as well. So you got Marlowe Leiter from UCF. Short from WVU. Uh, Tejada, who transfers from the University of Florida, um, what can Knowles fans expect from that quartet? Yeah, um, Tejada, I've seen twice now up here, um, a couple starts. I, I really like the fastball. Um, you know, it's just, I think UL's got a chance to throw in the low hundreds um, at some point. And 
Yoel, Yoel is someone who's still extremely raw on the mound, I think, you know, used to be a two-way, and I think he used to focus more on hitting when he was in high school um, and now is just doing pitching now. Um, you know, he's 93, you know, sits in a 94, 96 range with his fastball, has been up to 97 multiple times on the couple times I've seen him. Um, and it just explodes out of his hand. It's, it's, it's really low effort and it just, it just jumps. And, you know, I think as he continues to add onto that six, eight frame that he's going to, you know, keep adding power and, and the fastball is only going to get more explosive and, and, and start to miss more bats. Um, you know, I do think Yoel right now gets predictable at times and, you know, he really is almost sort of a one pitch pitcher with the fastball right now. I don't think he has a ton of confidence in his off speed yet, but, you know, it, it's developing. And I think if you can do some things with the slider shape, it, it at times right now, it just looks cutterish. And, um, you know, there was one the other day that he threw really well when he got it out in front and snapped it off and, and you know, kind of threw it convincingly and out, you know, just out to the right, right-handed hitter that looked really good. But, you know, most of them that I've seen have kind of backed up on him and, and, and just, you know, not move, have, haven't had the movement profile that you would likely want to, to, to tunnel with the fastball. So um, I think if you can do some things with the off speed with Yoel, he'll start to miss more bats and get a less, little less predictable um, with the fastball. But I, I just, there's a lot of things I've liked with Yoel, despite him giving up some hits since I've seen him. Um, and I think some of that also is the mentality and, and not being afraid to, to get hit kind of, which is sometimes that to me is a good thing. Like he, he's he's willing to throw the fastball over and over again and kind of say to hitters like here it is it's coming try and hit it um and it's just i it's just kind of a bulldog mentality at times from him i've seen when you know he gets in jams he kind of rears down and that's when he starts to throw throw even harder that's where he sees his 97s and um the last time i saw him he filled up the zone a lot with the fastball so that was good to see and i just think there's a the ceiling with yoel is there there really is you can't really put a ceiling on him. It's just there's there's a lot of talent there. He was a top 50 prospect out of a high school for a reason. It's just now you try to tap into it. And, you know, the biggest thing I like with a lot of these transfers that is that you're getting two-plus years out of these guys. They're coming off freshman seasons. They're going to be just sophomores, and I don't believe any of them are sophomore draft eligible. So you're getting these guys for multiple years, and if, if you can develop them, a guy like UL, you feel really good about what he can give you. Um Maybe it doesn't show up this year, but, you know, I do think he'll be part of the staff and for the next two years. In terms of, uh, I mean, how excited are you about Cam Leiter and, yeah. and the pedigree, obviously, with with his uncle and uh, being the cousin of uh, of Jack and um, certainly a lot of stuff that reminds you of, of Jackson Baumeister a little bit. Um, certainly, though, it's not as put together yet, uh, and he's got some work to do with Coach Posey in the fall. Yeah, I only saw Lighter once um, up here before he, he headed back home. Um, and he definitely struggled with his command that day, and it was mostly the fastball command. Um, but I did really like the off-speed. He's got three distinct off-speed pitches. Um, a, a big downer curveball, I believe, in the 77-79 range that he gets in the zone a lot, just drops it in for first pitch strikes against left-handed hitters, uses more of the sli a slider against, against the right-handed hitters, um, and then also has a changeup, and, and he didn't throw the changeup a ton when I saw him, but when he did throw it, I, I liked the way it showed and, and the swings that it got from left-handed hitters, and I think it's a pitch that he'll be able to use. Um, so it's a, it's a four-pitch guy, and it's, it's 
I mean, it's it's a high ceiling as well. I mean, the fastball is going to sit in probably the 92, 94 range, and it's going to reach back for more at times. Um, and I like the, the the fastball quality. I think it's going to miss bats when it's in the zone. It's just how much can we get it in the zone? How consistently can we get it in the zone? Because, you know, I just think from the last couple of years, I've learned that if you don't have fastball command, you have nothing. That's That's been the biggest thing that stood out to me for the last couple of years and, and why I think, you know, college baseball has just been such a struggle to pitch, you know, with, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into it. The, the, the strike zone has shrunk, you know, hitters have gotten older, the bats have gotten better. Um, the balls have gotten better. Um, so a lot of factors that go into it, but like the biggest thing is just get ahead. Like I talked about earlier and get ahead with the fastball and fastball command is just so important. So, you know, hoping to see more of that from lighter when I, when we get back out in the fall and get to see him more, but, you know, he's going to strike out a lot of guys. I think he struck out 90-some guys this year at UCF. Um, would have had the second most strikeouts on, on Florida State staff as a freshman. Um, so another guy that you're getting for two years that has a, at least two years that has just immense talent that you hope you can tap into and, and hope that you can get in the zone consistently and you feel like he's going to be um, a four-pitch guy that should be a starter if he's in the zone consistently. You're looking at him as, as a potential option, right, for for that weekend rotation, and Definitely. certainly what what happens in the fall and, and and you know in spring practice before the season starts will determine whether or not you know he can truly be in that rotation. But but the expectation, I think, when when he signed, you know, his NIL deal, and then when he decided to to transfer to Florida State, was to be in the rotation and to be a part of an ACC caliber rotation. So um, that's the expectation. I mean, as of now, as of July, I expect Cam Leiter to find a way to be in your weekend rotation, but uh, certainly a long way to go. Uh, Marlo, uh, another guy, not as high of a ceiling, maybe a little bit higher of a floor in terms of what he does. Uh, Pitched out of the pen for UCF quite a bit, long relief, started a couple of games, pitched really well against Florida State in a start that he had in a midweek game. Uh, Give us your thoughts on where you see him fitting at FSU. And then uh, on the back of that, uh, Noah Short from West Virginia. Yeah, I'll just run down quickly the the other two guys and plus the couple arms that are coming from Juco as well outside of Adams, as we we talked about earlier. Um, Marlowe, the first guy you mentioned there, uh, Jacob's probably a a reverse split guy, I think. probably a lefty that's going to have better numbers against righties than he does against lefties because his, his best pitch is a changeup that he threw against Florida state a lot in the seven inning outing. And I think he, he struck out eight or nine guys against Florida state. And it was just turning over the changeup over and over and over again. And no matter how much Florida state saw it, they just, you know, it just couldn't touch it. It seemed like, and um, you know, I think that's the pitch that he'll probably throw the most fastballs. It's not going to blow anyone away. And, not going to miss too many bats with it, but I think the the thing that Marlowe is going out there to do is to, to get the ball on the ground and, and fill up the strike zone and and get some swings and misses from right-handed hitters with the changeup. Um, I think he can kind of do a lot of different things for you. I think he could potentially be a midweek starter, could potentially start some Sundays, could potentially be, a, you know, get you a ground ball out of the bullpen, be a long reliever, be a middle reliever. I think he just you just – you hope that he – fills one of those roles for you and, and just fills up the strike zone over and over again and, and eats up innings. I mean, that's what he did at UCF for two years. So you're getting a good amount of experience there and you're getting a whole lot of strikes. It's You're not going to have to worry about command or walks with Marlowe at all, which you have to like. 
Um, Short is is a four year guy from from West Virginia. Um, Sidewinder, winder as you mentioned. Um, sinker, changeup, slider. I think the sinker is eighty nine, ninety one. I think McGuire Holbrook was telling me he's he's he, he saw him up to ninety three or something like that when when he was still at West Virginia. And it's someone that you know, a right handed pitcher that's going to make right handed hitters really uncomfortable and um, keep the ball on the ground and get a lot of ground balls and. You know, I know he didn't throw much at West Virginia this year. I think he only threw 12 innings and, and didn't really love the way that they used him. But to me, I think Short's a guy that I see Link Jarrett using a lot. I think he's one of those guys that makes 30-plus appearances in a season, and, and maybe some of those appearances are one batter to get one ground ball. Or, you know, I just think that he's someone that will be used a lot. I mean, those, those sidewinders are usually rubber-type arms, you know, Chase Haney and, and what he did for Florida State for five years. So I think he'll be someone that comes in and, and, and tries to get a lot of ground balls for Link's staff this year. Um, Carson Dorsey, who I mentioned earlier, um, I've seen him a, a few times. Saw him once in the fall last year and then saw him a couple more times in the, in the Cape uh, this summer um, before he headed out of Falmouth. Um, just a really, really quality fastball. It's not going to light up radar guns. We'll probably get up to like the 93-ish range, you know, we'll probably sit in the low 90s or sit in the high 80s at times, um, depending on if he's starting or relieving. Um, does have a chance to start at Florida State for sure. Um, the fastball, I think, you know, it's it's that type of, you know, Jackson Ballmeister fastball that it's just really, really good up in the zone and misses a ton of bats up in the zone. And it just explodes on hitters, and you see them just not really be able to time it up much at all. And, um, you know, his off-speed has got to – has a breaking ball that he's kind of changed shape since the last last time I saw him in fall. It's, it's more of a curveballish type shape, I think, this now, and maybe more slurvish, but not as much sliderish. Um, and you know, I think it, it I think it tunnels better with the fastball up in the zone. And this summer, when I saw him both times, he showed the ability to just land it for strikes over and over again. And I think that's going to be big for him. I think sometimes you'll see him work backwards and actually use the fastball as as the strikeout pitch and and the breaking ball as the get me over. Um, also has a changeup in 81, 84 mile per hour range. Um, first outing I saw him this summer, changeup actually looked really good. And, and I thought was a pretty quality pitch for him. He just needs to use it more, I think, and more consistently. And we'll get it, um, to be a, you know, a, a pretty decent pitch. Biggest thing with, with Dorsey will just be the, the consistency of the mechanics. He has a, you know, a bit of a funky, you know, uh, delivery and the arm has a big arm swing and, He's a very loose guy, athletic guy, and there's just there's a lot to like there with Dorsey. I think he's got a pretty high ceiling as well. Um, the other Juco arm that's coming in is Connor Holtz from State College of Florida. Holtz is someone that will be a lefty-lefty specialist in the bullpen, has a hellacious slider. I mean, it's 3,100, 32 RPM spin spin rate. I mean, it's just it's, – it's an elite slider. Um, he's definitely not going to blow you away with, with the fastball, mostly 87, 88. 89. Um, there are some, you know, command issues there with Holtz. I think he had 23 walks and 26 innings this year. But I mean, when he's in the zone, he's going to miss bats. Uh, I mean, 47 Ks in 26 innings this year is that's just I mean, that's absurd. And, you know, anytime you feel like he's facing a left handed hitter or even a right handed hitter with that slider. Um, I mean, it's a really hard pitch to pick up that thing. Just it takes a nosedive in the low 80s. And um, it's going to be a really useful pitch for Florida State this upcoming year, I think. So a lot to look forward to uh, for Florida State uh, on the mound. Before we jump into the bats, uh, Brett, where do you want to see Florida State continue to look for options in the portal uh, as we kind of get into the middle of July and into August? 
Yeah, I mean, I would really like to see them land a proven starter, and it doesn't have to be someone who's, you know, maybe going to jump off the page to you or be some big name that you've heard before. But, man, just someone that you know can start, someone that you know is going to give you strikes over and over again that has three pitches is going to be able to keep hitters off balance and induce weak contact. And, um, you know, you just want someone who has – you know, you feel pretty confidently about that it's going to be in that week one rotation, I think. Um, and I think from, from there, I just think you, you're trying to find the right fit still. And, you know, maybe you're depending on if Lansville goes and, and these other guys, you just you have to try to find your fits from there and what you like. Um, I think, you know, you're probably looking at definitely taking one to two more and potentially taking up to three or four more, depending on if there's a guy out there that you feel is like a can't miss guy and, and, and really fits exactly what you're looking for. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly. I think it could really be anywhere from one to four more arms that we still see them take. I mean, you know, the roster is at a pretty big number and there are going to be, there are going to have to be cuts made or red shirts given at some point. Um, but I think that's kind of expected everywhere at this point with the way rosters look and the amount of guys that everyone takes in the portal. Um, so, yeah, I think I think they're still out there looking um, and, and looking for the right fits and, and looking for someone that they feel can can be a, can be an every weekend starter. Yeah, I kind of like the method that Virginia went with with Brian O'Connor last year. They got two guys from mid-majors who weren't, you know, these big time names, but guys who come in and throw strikes and, and they make Omaha. Right. They solidified their weekend rotation with strike throwers. I mean, it was high 80s, low 90s, and the breaking balls were nothing special. You and I were talking about it when we played Virginia in that series, and and you said, man, there's nothing about Virginia's staff that's going to, like, wow you, right? It's not ultra draftable. But there were guys who in the college game threw strikes. And in college, most of the hitters in college aren't very good, right? Like, this isn't professional hitting where you have to have a ton of stuff to be able to miss bats um, or you're going to get punished. There's something to be said about filling up the zone and having good defense behind it. And that's going to find you a way to win games. And that's honestly, you know, what 11 really built his program on. It was doing this, the, the fundamentals correctly and finding ways to win a ton of games, um, especially in the nineties and early two thousands when, when they were at their best. So uh, that's, that's something I'd like to see. Like you said, let's go find an arm or two, um, you know, and, yeah. and, and link and you know what sorry brett but like last thing link found one with john uh michael bertrand right game uh, right like he got him from i think it was, was it wofford uh let me look something like that right it, I, I, Furman maybe it was Furman or wofford or, or something of the, okay it was Furman. but here you go you got the acc you know acc pitcher of the year out of it and so those guys are out there i think fsu's just got to identify them and, and go get one uh maybe two to, to join the staff I think the the thing I've I've realized from being up here in the Cape is it's it's really hard right now to find guys with with stuff and command. Like it's just the guys with command don't have much stuff, and the guys with stuff don't have much command. And it's 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 hard to 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 get pitchers to make pitchers do one of those. It's hard to give someone stuff. It's hard to give someone command. So. I mean, you can try and do it, but it's it's just hard. It's you got to try to find the guys, the rare guys out there that have a little bit of both. Or, um, you know, 
but I think at this point you got to at least find command because I do think there's a lot of stuff on this staff and there's a lot of upside, but um, there is some downside to it as well. And, and maybe not, you know, a ton of proven commodities. Um, so you feel like you just want to go out and find one of those. Yeah. Well, on the, on the flip side with the bats, I think Florida state did a nice job uh, this off season in the portal. They, they, they went out and they got guys early um, were aggressive in, in making sure that they lock down uh, positions of need. And, and you and I talked about, you know, this is a team that needed a couple of infielders to solidify up the middle. You needed at least one outfielder. Uh, you needed a catcher, you know, obviously with, with Colton moving on. And I think FSU hit on all of those. Um, certainly if, if the perfect prospect, you know, perfect portal guy comes through, you might take one more, but they could be pretty much set in the position and in the, in the position player in the field. Um, but certainly a Faro and Lodis is a good place to start up the middle. Yeah. And I'll just kind of try to rip off all these guys. I know we're already over an hour here and got some more stuff to cover too. Um, but yeah, Faro and Lodis to start. I mean, Faro, you know, you're getting power um, and you know, you're getting an, an athletic and explosive middle infielder. I mean, was a high school quarterback at Florida high in Tallahassee and, you know, a shortstop as well. And, you know, he's just a really fluid mover and, and, and he's just quick and, and twitchy. And, and there's a lot of stuff to like. Um, obviously the thing that kind of scares you is the 78 strike counts this year and 210 at bats. You would like to see that come down a good bit. I think, I think Faro could, could cut down a good bit on his swing. There's, there's, there's a lot going on there. Um, and I think there's just times where it's hard for him to catch up to velocity and, and, and make, you know, just make adjustments um, to, to, to off speed because of trying to get to, to the, the velocity, which, which leads to the swing and miss. Um, and I don't think he needs to have as big of a swing as he does to produce the power because of the explosiveness and twitchiness that he does possess. Um, you know, and I know the defensive numbers weren't too great this year as, as well. I think, around 914 range uh, fielding percentage. But I think Florida State feels that he has um, some upside defensively and that, you know, there were a lot of times this year where he, he made the, the really hard plays and made the, the plays that um, you expect really good defenders to, to go and make that aren't normal plays. But it was more so the, the consistency and, and, and the, the day-to-day routine plays that, that needed to, to be better. Um, so – you know, I'll be interested to see how, how what Link does with him and, and how he treat how he feels about him at shortstop. Um, and kind of the same thing with Lodice. I think their defensive numbers were around the same this year. I think Lodice is, is a little more consistent with a little less flash and a little less athleticism. Um, but, you know, I don't know exactly who they're thinking is going to be the shortstop and who they're thinking is going to be the second baseman between the two. I think I think they'll just let it play out um, through the fall and the preseason and give guys both guys opportunities at both spots um, and just see where they feel is a better fit. Um, but with Lodis, I mean, a lot of the same offensive profile. You're going to get power, 16 home runs this year. Um, you know, only 18 walks in, in 55 games. Bit of a free swinger, but he only K'd 47 times. Um, so there's a ton of – I mean, there's consistent impact with him. You feel like you're going to get – double-digit home runs and being able to say that you feel like you're going to get double-digit home runs from both your middle infielders is obviously, a, you know, that's you feel like that's a strength going into the season, just the power that you're going to have there. But, you know, 
I think you you still have to kind of wonder. There is kind of that question mark of, of what that middle infield will be like defensively. Um, you know, I think there's upside with both those guys, and you're getting both those guys for two years at least, like we talked about earlier. Um, so you have multiple years to develop them. Um, so you feel really good about those two prospects and, and what they could potentially bring to you. And they're two guys that probably a lot of SEC programs are looking at um, to fill their middle infield spots as well. Uh, a couple other transfer hitters that were brought in, Max Williams from Alabama, who's originally from Jacksonville, um, you know, mostly known for his potential, you know, his power potential from the left side of the plate. And that has a chance to play really well at Hauser with the right field fence. And he's had a really strong um, summer uh, in the Northwoods League as well. Um, so that's been good to see. I think he's had 10 plus doubles and, and, and four homers now. Um, and he's walked almost as many times as he struck out. So really good to see. He only had 25 at-bats this year at Bama, but did hit 320 in those at-bats with three extra base hits. And then another Bama transfer catcher, Jackson West, who's originally from Tallahassee. Um, where did he go in Tallahassee? I think he went to Childs, I believe. Childs, correct. Yeah. Um, left-handed hitter. Um, there's some juice there. I think UOP hits like six to eight home runs maybe with the left field fence. Um, you know, from this the from the limited stats in the season and also his summer league stats, it seems like he gets on a base at on base at an extremely high rate. Um, the last time I checked, um, as of July 11th, he had 14 walks and only two strikeouts this summer. Um, and that's just absurd. And, you know, he was hitting 333 still um, in the season at Bama, 27 at bats, only five hits, but he had seven walks and only four strikeouts. Um, and I think West is someone that should give you some stability behind the plate. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't see him too much at Childs, but I did catch their games a couple times. And every time I saw him, he seemed like, you know, a good leader on the field and, and someone that commanded the, the field and, and helped out his pitchers from behind the plate. Um, so, you know, interested to see how that left-handed bat plays at Hauser. Um, and I think he probably would be the leading candidate right now to start behind the plate uh, on an everyday basis going into the season. Yeah, and younger brother of Gage uh, West, who played yeah. at Florida State. And uh, so uh, West will be roaming the field again at Hauser. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Faro Lodis are exciting. Um, like you said, I think, you know, neither are like can't miss prospects. I don't think either was going to be like the top guy at their position. But I also think that they had suitors, right, from other programs, Lodis especially with the SEC. There were teams that were interested in. Uh, Florida State did a good job. Uh, also, two guys that they saw with their own two eyes, right, playing against them in competition. So Link was able to identify those guys um, uh, while FSU played them this past season. Lodis at UNF, Faroe at UCF. Um, we'll have to see, you know, if Florida State finds someone else that they can move in there. Certainly, I think still first base um, might be an area that FSU needs to solidify if there is a good prospect there and that they can add. Uh, but overall, Brett, I think I think I would rate this transfer class a solid B. I don't know about you. I, I would give it a B, maybe even a B plus. Like I think it's a it's a pretty good class in the portal that I think meets a lot of your needs. Yeah, I mean, I still kind of I don't know. For me, it's really like TBD still because you know I still feel like there's going to be an arm or two that's that's added at least and the level of that arm could, could either, you know, it could really bump up the class even a bit, a bit more for me. And 
I think there's a ton of upside with this class. Like if you were to hit on the development of all these guys, you're looking at an A transfer class. If you were to get the most out of a Tejada, Lighter, and 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 Ferro and and Lodis and Williams and and West. I mean, if you were to get the upside out of those guys, I mean it's it's a really, really good class. But at the same time, like you do have to do some development with all those guys. Um, so we'll see. I mean, like I said, the, the best thing about this class is getting these guys for two plus years and, and, and infusing some extra talent into your roster and, and guys that have some things that you can't teach. You can't teach the power of Faro and Lodis and you, you can't teach the, the six foot eight, six foot eight frame of Tejada and the stuff that he has and the stuff that Lighter has and the pedigree that Lighter comes with. So, and like you said, these are guys that had other suitors at, at, at other big schools. Um, but you just want to you I think you want to finish off the class with a, a couple of guys that you feel really, really good about and, and, and confident about um, and have done it consistently at this level before. And then I just want to add just, um, you know, the, the, there's one other transfer coming in from the Juco ranks catcher. Marco, uh, I don't know exactly how to say his last name. I think it's Dings or Dingus or something like that from TCC. Uh, pretty wiry catching prospect. Uh, hit 330, 383 this year at TCC with, with 20 extra base hits um, and eight home runs and 115 at-bats. Had more walks than strikeouts, um, so that's really good to see. And then as far as guys portaling out of Florida State, um, there's been, I believe, 12 so far. Um, Brett Barfield is going to Georgia Tech. Davion Hickson is going to Rice, as well as Trayton Frank is going to Rice. Cade Bush and, and Connor Moore are both going to UNF. Um, and Gunnett Carlson, I think, announced today that he's going to College of Central Florida in the JUCO ranks. Um, some others that are still out there right now, uh, Drake Flowers, um, Carson Montgomery, obviously, if he weren't to sign, as we talked about earlier, Brandon Walker, Jordan Taylor, Jason Avila, uh, in Santiago or Donas, uh, the, the portal closed today um, for for grad for non grad transfers to enter. Um, so as of now, I, I think those are going to be um, the guys that that end up portaling for Florida State. Um, you know, kind of expected some others, but um, we'll see. Um, I, like I said, I think there's going to have to be some cuts or some red shirts or, or gray shirts given in in the fall or or in preseason. Um, just with the, the pure number rosters at this year right now. Um, the roster does bump up to 40 players this year, but um, right now Florida State would, would still be over that. But, um, yeah, overall I think you hit on some needs in the portal um, and you're getting guys with upside, which, which is always a good thing. All right, uh, Brett, quickly, uh, I know, again, we're, we're at about uh, an hour and ten minutes now. Um, so Summer League – the Cape has been obviously the, the, the best league for a while, uh, but there are other good ones, and, and Florida State's got a lot of guys spread out. Uh, give us a quick update on what you're seeing uh, here in the summer. Yeah, firstly from the Cape, um, some guys I'll hit on. Uh, Jamie Arnold has been very good. Um, every time I've seen him, I, I've come away um, impressed and, and, and pleased with his development and, and the way he's moving um, from his freshman year to, to sophomore year, and I think you know, I think for Jamie, just getting in some low leverage situations up here, not low leverage situations, but a low leverage environment where it's not a ton of pressure, not a ton of people. It's I mean, you're playing to the high school field. You are facing some of the best hitters in the country. But I mean, you just 
it's just about going out and getting your work in and getting better. That's what the goal is. And Jamie has gotten better and he's working with more of a two seam fastball now compared to the four seamer that he was throwing it during the year. And, you know, Jamie's always got an arm side run from that low slot, but he's getting 18 to 22 inches now of horizontal movement on the fastball. And I mean, he's made both right-handed hitters and left-handed hitters look silly with a fastball that's really only topping out at about 92 miles per hour so far. This summer has been mostly in the 88, 91 range. Um, obviously, in season, we saw him up to 94 um, when he was really rearing back. But Jamie, for the most part, will be in that 88, 91 range. But, I mean, from the slot and the movement that he's getting on it now, and he just can make guys look silly at times. And some of those guys are some of the best hitters in the country. Um, also, pretty consistently throwing the slider for strikes, which is really good. Um, I think the key for Jamie moving forward will be um, potentially the, the development of a changeup. I know he's been working on it in the bullpen um, and hopes to, you know, eventually throw it in games. Um, I think if Jamie can get to – can add that third pitch, that he's got a real good chance to start. Um, but, you know, I think if you're just a two-pitch pitcher, most of the time you're going to see those guys in, in the bullpen. Um, so I would really, really like to see Jamie get the changeup involved and and start throwing it more often and you know just go out there and throw it just to throw it and see what it does um cam smith is also on the same team as as, as jamie in on the hyannis harbor hawks in the in the cape cam started out rough and you know i didn't really know if he would stay up here or just try to go home and get a mental reset but i've been really 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 pleased with what i've seen from cam and i i've seen cam a lot i saw cam a lot at the beginning of the summer and I've seen him a lot the last couple of weeks and the, to see him make the adjustments he's made is, is really good. Um, and he seems to be in a better place at the plate. He's swinging convincingly, he's swinging with confidence. Just, you know, I sent a video of a swing to him to someone yesterday and it was just, he just like amazed the difference between the start of the summer and where he's at now. Um, you know, at the start of the summer, he kind of was, a lot of he was just kind of drifting and getting out of his legs at the plate. And, um, you know, it's just he just wasn't able to barrel balls up the way he wants to and was still swinging and missing. And, you know, now he's he's gotten back into his base. He's really using his legs where a lot of his power comes from. I mean, just look at his legs one time and, it you know, there's a ton of strength in there. And he can he can just he can really widen out in that stance. And he's he's back to widening out with two strikes like he was doing in the fall and preseason. And he kind of went away from that during the regular season, just getting really wide and really just, you know, staying in that base and, and, and reading and reacting. And he's not swinging and missing anymore. He's not striking out. He's, he's hitting consistently. He's hitting for power. Um, there's just a lot to like. Every time I've seen Cam in the last two weeks, I've come away impressed and, and feeling that he's in a really good place going into his sophomore year. And you know, the, the way his hands are staying back and the way he's staying balanced and, and getting the power out of his legs, um, it really excites me for what he's going to be able to do next year. Um, and, we, we know, we've always known the, the talent that Cam possesses. And when he's able to really get the bat to the ball consistently, he's going to be, you know, a, a player that is just is one of the best players in, in the ACC possibly. Um, some other guys that have, have done really good up here um, – Andrew Armstrong has a 2.31 ERA and 11.2 innings, 17 strikeouts. Um, James, James Tibbs and Jaime Ferrer have played a lot for, for Brewster. Um, they're on the same team. They're kind of in a platoon situation now with a pretty crowded outfield in Brewster. 
Um, they added Josh Pearson from LSU after national championship run. Um, they added Michael Robertson, I believe, as well from Florida. And they also have um, a pretty dang good outfielder as well from from Samford, uh, Will Turner, who's good friends with with Tibbs that, that also needs to get reps in. So Tibbs and Jaime have kind of been platooning the last couple of days. Um, so we'll see what goes on there. Um, James, James has four homers this summer and has really gotten going of lately. Was struggling early, but has kind of gotten back in his groove. They're both hitting 260 plus, And I mean, in a, in a wood bat league, you know, that's kind of what you're hoping for, you know, and there's a lot of really good pitchers up here and they play at a park that once it's seven o'clock at night, it, it, there's no lights there. And it's kind of, you know, it can be tough to see at times. So, um, you know, just good to see them get reps in and keep playing all summer and, and doing their thing. Um, you know, moving on to some other leagues, Northwoods leagues, I mentioned, you know, Max Williams, the summer he was having, um, another guy that's having a really good summer up there and someone I'm a really big fan of is, is Lance triple. Um, he's hitting 302, 23 walks to 20 strikeouts, uh, has also stolen seven bases, six doubles, two homers. I believe he was named to the all-star team in the Northwoods League, has gotten 106 at-bats this summer after not getting much playing time this year as a freshman. Um, I just really like Lance at the plate. I like his athleticism. I, I like the rhythm at the plate and the, the potential impact that he, he presents. And once again, you know, I've talked about Lance before. He's, he's someone that – was a high school quarterback, was someone that was signed to play college college football at, at West Florida as, as a quarterback before deciding to come to Florida State um, as a walk-on for baseball. And he's just scratching the surface of what he could potentially be as a baseball player. And um, I think Lance is someone that's, that's got a chance to be pretty good at the plate. Um, Valley League, Jacob Marlowe, who we talked about earlier, um, he's been having a strong summer out there um 2.51 era and 14 innings 17 strikeouts two walks so once again like i mentioned he's just he's just not going to walk guys uh he's going to fill up the strike zone and and uh ben barrett's on the same team as him in that league has been really good on the mound 0.90 era and 10 innings 11 strikeouts um has been hitting as well as hitting 234 has one home run so far this this summer um and then just the other league that i wanted to hit on was the Florida League, um, two guys that dealt with injuries this year um, are down there. Um, first is McGuire Holbrook. Um, you know, I think Mac was was pretty banged up all year and, and kind of dealt with that stuff throughout the season. And then he took some time after the season ended to try to get that stuff right and, and to try to feel like his old self and um, just started playing in, in the Florida League um, just, I think, two weeks ago now. Um, but has really had a really, really, really good start there. I mean, 15 of 29 at the plate, two doubles, one home run, 10 RBIs in nine games, four walks to only two strikeouts. I mean, hitting 517. I think just from that short time he was there, he got put in the all-star game and, and was also part of the home run derby. Um, so, you know, hopefully that's a sign that, that Mac is, is back to being healthy and hopefully he can stay there because, you know, you want to see those offensive numbers that he had at West Virginia because – I mean, those are the real deal. You don't, you can't fake hitting 300 plus in the Big 12. I mean, um, there's some real offensive talent there for Mac. We just, we really just never got to see it this year because of the injuries. And then Joe Charles is down there as well. Interesting case here with with Joe. Um, he is working back on the mound. Has been starting to throw two innings again recently and starting some games. Six innings, seven strikeouts. The thing I really like to see here is zero walks. Um, I think Joe told me he's been around 90, 90. 90 to 92 range has, has popped to 93, I think. 
Um, and I think, you know, as Joe continues to throw and, and builds his arm back more, that uh, you expect the Velo to come back. I mean, Joe was a was a top 35 prospect in his in his high school class, which was, I believe, 2019 now. Freshman season was COVID was the COVID season. Next year he misses the whole year with the with a leg injury, comes to Florida State, misses that whole year with an arm injury, and really misses this whole year as well with the same dealing with the same recovery. Um, and just starting to feel like himself again now, I think. Um, but the interesting thing is he's also hitting. Um, he used to be a two-way in high school. He also hit in this same league in 2021 summer, but just barely and, and, and didn't really ever think about doing it at Florida State. But, you know, I think with him not fully pitching at the start of the summer and still working his way back on the mound, he, he wanted to just get on the field and, and do something and, and, you know, be in part of baseball games again and, and feel like, you know, a baseball player again. And he's, he's hitting 26 games. He's hitting 288 and 80 at bats. He has two home runs, both in, both of those in the last week. He's walked 14 times and, and only struck out and struck out 19 times. Um, you know, I don't know if Joe's going to be given the chance to come back here and, and, and hit, um, you know, maybe if he hits 300 plus in, in this summer with a couple more home runs, you know, you're going to have to give him a chance probably, I think, just because you can't, you can't deny that, um, but just good to see see him do that and just, you know, get out there and be able to play baseball again and, and show some athleticism, show the ability to be a baseball player and show the ability to go compete. Um, I like that. It, it's a good thing to see. So um, some other guys we didn't get to that are having strong summers out there, but um, I think that's a pretty good rundown of, of, of what's going on so far this summer. All right, good rundown, I think, too, for a show and – Gave you over 80 minutes on this episode of Sunday Golds and uh, it had been two months almost <laughs> since our last pod. I know uh, we had some people antsy uh, wondering when this next episode would drop, but here we are and we appreciate you guys as always. We're on Apple. We're on Spotify. Please give us five stars if you can. Uh, leave us a comment or a review and uh, we will hopefully talk to you very, very soon. Brett, enjoy the rest of your summer, man. Uh, get back safe from the New England area and uh, fall ball will be here before you know it. Oh, please. Yeah. So for Brett Nevitt, I'm Mario Masudi, and this has been Sunday Golds.